Hello and welcome to the Practical Magic Podcast, a weekly dive into ways in which we can live a calmer, more creative and empowered life on our own terms. I'm Kate Taylor, Creativity and Empowerment Coach, and I'm on a mission to help us live an embodied life full of creative expression through my blended melting pot of goodness I call Practical Magic. This is a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today, and it's not one that you hear often on something like the Practical Magic podcast or other podcasts out there. I'm joined by the wonderful Jade Shaw, who is a specialist in out-of-body experience, otherwise known as astral projection. She's going to be sharing her story with us, and we're going to delve into the topic of different levels of consciousness and and out-of-body experience and what that actually means to us, how we, we can tune into it how it's going to be good for us. So welcome to the show, Jade. I wondered if you could start by sharing a bit of your story about how out-of-body experience and this work has found you. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, gosh, where to start? Um, Okay, well, I suppose it happened when I was a child. So I was really petrified of the nighttime. I had to sleep in a sleeping bag with the landing light on until I was like, 18 years old, true story. Uh, and this is because it often felt like someone had like grabbed the end of the bed and was shaking it back and forth, or I'd hear really unusual sounds and occasionally kind of seemed to see through my eyelids. It was like straight up scary stuff. That must have been pretty terrifying, wasn't it? As a kid. Yeah, it was really scary and it went on for quite a while. And to be honest, at one point I just got a bit bored of it. And at the age of 10, I got really fed up and I wanted it to end. And my mum thought about even taking me to see a child therapist. Um, but then one night I realised if I slowed my breathing right down, it would tame the experience and actually bring it to a stop. So that's what I started to do and the experiences subsided. And then, so fast forward to the future, and I met my husband, I run my own dance company, I don't sleep with the light on anymore, thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't think he'd appreciate that, would he? It's like, look, I, I just have these night terrors, please let me sleep with the lights on. No, darling, not very romantic. No, no, indeed. Um, and yes, then I picked up this book from Robert Monroe, Journeys Out of the Body, and I read it and I think this sounds a lot like what I experienced as a child. He talks about this vibrational state and feelings of shaking, unusual, unusual sounds. And I think, well, if this is what I was experiencing as a child, would I be able to have an out-of-body experience, which is what he was talking about? So I really felt drawn to unravel my childhood experiences. And then I thought, um, after a bit of research, I'll give it a go and see if it's possible or if it's a load of nonsense, really. And so I gave it a go and it didn't happen. Tried again, still didn't happen. And I thought, God, I couldn't get rid of this when I was a child. Like, why won't it happen again? So I gave up after a month, to be honest. Um, But then one night I got up to go to the loo. And when I got back in bed, I dropped straight into the vibrational state, what I felt when I was a child. So I was awake and I knew that if I was to do an exit technique, a way of leaving the physical body, I might be able to go out of it. I did. I did a rollout technique, which is kind of a shifting out to the side. A little side note here, there are many ways we can exit the physical body. We can float out, sink through the back, phase out, shift out sideways. And so that's the one I did. And when it happened, it felt a little bit like, you know, when you peel glue off your hands as a kid and it peels off your fingers? That that sensation, but peeling off from my whole body, a bit detaching like Velcro. Wow. That's incredible. That must, was that, how did that feel at the time? Were you, 
aware that it so obviously being aware that it was happening and were you in that moment kind of oh my god it's actually happening now or just going wow let's see where we go with this kind of a bit of both because I was really aware not to get too over emotional like scared or or excited but also to surrender and accept the experience at the same time so I just really allowed it to happen and and then went with it and then tried to remain calm (laughs) yeah Um, and like you say I suppose the breathing really comes into that it's so lucky that you had that awareness of when you were younger of how to actually come into your breath to be able to calm that yeah, exactly. Um, although when you're out of your body, there's no sense of physical body or breath. But beforehand, definitely um, kind of using the breath. And then when I left, um, it, it's basically through the mind how we respond. Because when we have an out-of-body experience, we see through the mind. It's called mind sight. Um, and yeah, I ended up in my room. My body's on the bed. And I thought, well, I should go do something. So I flew out the window and I dropped into the street below. And I remember with such um, clarity that there was dew on the grass, the sunlight was beaming down. It felt realer than real. And then I looked down at where I thought my body should be. And I had this translucent, uh, fluid, malleable kind of sense of energy, really, as a body, a little bit like a mirage. I look like the invisible woman. Um, wow. kind of that's so cool. <laughs> I know. And I remember thinking that at the time. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but then I thought, well, I should try and verify this experience. You know, if I am in objective reality and not a place of my mind, I should really try and evidence it. So I went to try and find a door number. Um, well, actually, I went down the street and found a house on a corner that was green on the left hand side of a crossroads. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get that house door number, which was number 18, and I'm going to remember it and come and find it when I come back from this experience. I did that and then realized, well, I'm still here. Like, like, what do I do now? So randomly, I looked up to the sky and yelled out, take me to Nirvana. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to go anywhere, you might as well go there, right? Straight to it. May as well go to Nirvana. No idea why I said it. Um, it just popped out. So, but after that, suddenly uh, the experience was out of my control and I started to flow upwards and it was a bit like an unseen force was lifting me up and I got to above the trees. But before I reached the clouds, it seemed like I passed through some sort of kind of thin membrane, a bit like a, a giant flat sheet of static. And when I broke the surface, it was a little bit like rising out of water when you're moving from one atmosphere to another. There was no sense of kind of up, down, left, right. Um, I was in a, a, a space with no horizon. And I appeared to be in a huge giant tunnel. It was black. It filled the entirety of my perception. And I'd lost my energy body. And I was now just a floating point of awareness. And I was drifting towards a bright white light. And being the typical northerner, I kind of did think at the time, well, this is a little bit cliche, isn't it? You know, tunnel with the white light at the end. So I stayed, I was able to remain calm for a little bit. um, But then I got halfway and I just got scared. And what happened when you get scared? Back to my physical body. I sat up in bed with a bolt and my husband wakes up. He yells, what's happened? What's happened? I say, I think I've just had an out-body experience. And he goes, oh, okay, well done, and goes back to sleep. 
typical. I love that. We have to explain your husband is Charlie, isn't it? Charlie Morley, who um, does a lot of work with lucid dreaming. So <laughs> his reaction is probably going to be a little bit more calm than somebody who um, doesn't do any of this work, right? Oh, yes, yes. I hadn't thought of that. True. So he's had these experiences before. So it was no biggie to him. But I was like, well done. Well done. I just come out of my physical body. Excuse me. I've just traveled through different dimensions. I know. And it just completely blew my mind. But that same day, I went back to the house on the corner to check if it was the same door number. And it was number 18 the same one as in my experience. That was one of the most striking things that really made me uh, question greatly the nature of reality. Um, but I also looked up the tunnel of light and other people had seen it too. It's actually quite commonly reported in near-death experiences, which are separate to having an OBE on their own. Um, but yeah, just seeing myself separate, I think, from my physical body um, when I'd self-identified with it for my entire life, just made me realize that we're not just this physical beautiful and grateful for my body but I'm not limited to it the entirety of who I am is not just my physical body and also that there's something kind of wonderfully mysterious going on behind our known reality and connecting to that knowing has been particularly in difficult times has brought me a lot of reassurance and courage and it was actually their courage that helped me to leave my own dance company, which was in the height of its success. We were going to receive a big investment for a three-year project from a national governing body to roll out a project throughout the UK. Um, but I couldn't go on doing the same work, knowing what I knew now. So, I, yeah, I took the decision to leave and explore out-of-body experiences further, which led me to do my master's degree in transpersonal psychology which is the study of consciousness, spirituality and psychology. Yeah, and I am really fascinated by this whole field of transpersonal psychology because, you know, exploring expanding consciousness is like opening different rooms to levels of perception, isn't it? That we all can have access to at any different time. However you, whatever it is, your flavour of choosing how to get there, there's many different ways that you can do that, isn't it? It's like a sprawling mansion of consciousness. So if we can take a reflection back and just going, floating above what you've told us in the, uh, in your relation to out-of-body experience, can you just share with the Practical Magic listeners what out-of-body experience is and its transformative effects because like you say you know people are aware of near-death experience which you say is a different thing so maybe you could give us an overview to what out-body experience is for people who've never heard of it and and how it's really helped you in terms of transforming your life yeah definitely so i'll try to keep it simple because this could be a whole philosophical you know debate but um from the academic point of view anyway, it's an experience of consciousness or self-awareness projecting out of the physical body and expanding into uh, another level of reality. Um, so if I were to have one right now, there would be two defining aspects. One, I would have the sensation or feeling of separating from my physical body. And I, I often get asked, but how do I know? How do I know? you will know it feels physically real, like we are peeling away from our physical body. 
Then the second aspect is our self-perspective and agency and our view of the world ends up being in a different place to our physical body. Uh, so that might be, and is usually commonly in the same room as the physical body. People report often turning around and looking at their physical body. But also we can go into different sorts of environments beyond the body. So those are the two defining aspects. So it's not a dream. Um, we can be fully awake and aware when we have one. It's not a lucid dream when we wake up within our dream state and we realize that we're dreaming. It's not sleep paralysis where our body is frozen, but our mind is woken up from sleep and is seeing maybe lots of hallucinations. It's not shamanic journeying and it's not remote viewing. So remote viewing is retrieving information at a distance. However, uh, because an out-body experience always happens in an altered state of awareness, we can springboard from the lucid dream uh, sleep paralysis, shamanic journey, and into an out-of-body experience. That doesn't mean every time we have sleep paralysis or shamanic journey that we're going out of body um, because they are separate things. So, And in uh, academic circles, it's called non-local perception or non-local consciousness, but more people might know it as astral projection, uh, which is one form of the out-of-body experience, because there are three ways we can have them. One is spontaneous, it's random, happens usually in a relaxed state, can be in meditation. And another one is self-induced, which is what I did using various techniques and what I teach in my workshops. And then forced, which is what you just said, Kate. So forced is when there's a set of circumstances circumstances that um, forces an out-of-body experience to happen such as the near-death experience which is when the heart and brain is stopped and then we have an OBE which is a part of many symptoms of the near-death experience and I suppose it's it's kind of it's there's five things that I, I think are the most transforming about it. I mean, William Bullman, who wrote Adventures Out of the Body, has like a long list of 25 things. My top five things are transforming our fears, connecting with loved ones who have passed on, potentially, conscious dying, spiritual awakening, and psychological growth. Um and I think one of, just to tap into a little one of those things, I say little, um, is the most commonly reported benefit that people bring back when they have a powerful one is a decreased fear of death. They have this ultimate realization that they are not limited to their physical body and that when they die, that thing that makes them them, their consciousness, will somehow go on in some manner or form. It's a really fascinating topic, isn't it? And it's almost, for me, it feels like, um, because death is is that that moment between the physical world and whatever comes next is a really amazing opportunity for spiritual awakening i've done nidra training um and that when you go into nidra and you're going into that for the various levels of uh, brainwave activity and you use different parts of the body, so you use duality to almost trick the brain that it's dying, is in that moment where you get spiritual awakening. And it's almost like death needs a rebrand, doesn't it? Totally. It's like like my husband, Charlie, says, you know, in the West, death is like a swear word. But yeah, we really need to kind of reconfigure our perception of it. Uh, I think it's just so important because it it is another stage of life, death and depending on our perspective and our belief systems, you know, perhaps there is never a death. Perhaps there's just an always ongoing, evolving continuum of consciousness. Who knows? And that's, I think that's a really fascinating part of the work that 
you know you do that your husband does that you know these levels of different levels of perception and awareness are a way of exploring different levels of consciousness and really what reality is because who's to say i mean we can go like we say we could get into a really deep philosophical conversation about it but who's to say that what we've got in what we call our everyday conscious cognitive state is actually really awareness anyway so you know it can get really deep and and when you talk about that stuff so let's talk about obe astral projection and the, the different types of it and how maybe people might be able to access it i know it's something that needs to be studied and it's not something you can just do but how can people do it well, there are different te- there are different techniques and numerous tools and training um, out there. I mean, I teach workshops, so I do like a two and a half hour workshop, a one day one, and a weekend intensive. Because um, this is it's nothing new. It's it's been done since um, for hundreds of years. We know it's uh, cross cultural, and we know it's been done throughout history, such as the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Greeks. So there's lots of ancient tools that are taught in a few esoteric traditions, but then there's also modern techniques drawing on kind of contemporary modalities as well. So I use a number of both and try and bridge the science and spiritual um, backgrounds and bring bring both of them together. Um, But as an example of, of... a training. I mean, it's it's been done in Tibetan Buddhism as a part of practice of dream yoga, um, which is for liberation and full enlightenment. And they practice it um, for three reasons. So to have a conscious death, so to die with compassion, and they even say joy, and to be awake and aware at the point of death, so that when we do cross over, obviously they believe in reincarnation, that they can then choose their next karmic rebirth and um, not be full prowl, should I say, to karmic connections, which then apparently within that belief system pull us to our next life. So they want to wake up from that, but also they use our body experiences to help people. So to help people move on, to help people who may be stuck in mental patterns, and also to um, kind of get realizations and insights about. Um, the nature of reality like we've just spoke so it's um it's kind of nothing new so I suppose it's depending on what tradition you want to come at it from because there's lots of different ways of looking at it as well so I try to sort of sit on the fence and draw on all different ones yeah because like I say it's you know it's not something that anybody's going to just listen to the podcast and go right I'm going to go and have an out-of-body experience like you say there's different intentions different reasons and different ways that you can explore the topic in more detail isn't there and 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 yeah very important the intention that you're coming at it with such a fascinating topic and one that I'm just I just want to dive into more myself I'm really interested Jade in your um, psychology studies that you're doing at the moment because much like yourself the the work that I do with practical magic is very much about the connection between the soul and the the science you know it's it's left brain right brain rational and spiritual can you tell me more about how this has come to be with you how you've noticed your interest in the soul and the science coming together and how that's really made an impact and a difference on your work 
Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind is unconscious bias and preferences and cognitive dissonance. So if I have a strong religious belief system, like I am an atheist or a religious person or just a person who has a strong um, mental outlook on the world, it's very rigid and very um, sticky, um, I'm going to then have certain beliefs that shape the way I think and feel about others. And I think taking perspectives from both the science arena and also the spiritual world, at least for me, have allowed me to have a 360 degree view on on something, whether it's a pattern from my own mind, an issue in my life, a problem I'm working on. So I'm not kind of having a, a, a biased um uh, view of what what's going on uh, I'm having kind of um I can look at things from different areas and that makes helps me make more informed decisions um and really expands my perception which is I just I just think I'm really into expanding perception obviously out of body experience is one of that but the reason why to look at these things from all angles is because if we can expand our perception and it creates a shift in our consciousness in our in our minds and then that ultimately changes our reality and then brings more possibilities to us so i think for me that's been the crux of kind of bridging these two worlds and having a look from both and sides and i think that's really important actually in terms of this kind of work because there is that kind of coming out of the spiritual closet which is the you know the phrase so often used and a lot of people stay in there because they fear judgment they fear that people are going to not take them seriously so being able to bridge the science and the spiritual I think is a really important way of people like yourself and in my work being able to talk about it in a way that people understand that they get that if they don't necessarily have a spiritual path but they're curious soul seekers that it just makes it more accessible for them to come at it in different ways and so how have you um how have you been able to cope with because it must be quite difficult I guess in terms of the work that you do and coming from that science background which is all very fact-based and I know you've recently been to a conference haven't you and I guess navigating what might be criticism Mm. from some of the more science-based people and how how you've been able to navigate that and I think that's important for the listeners because as I say what I get feedback or what I hear from people on you know whenever they come into contact with me is I'm a little bit scared to talk about my beliefs for fear of judgment so how do you navigate that in a world where we like science and we like fact that's a really good question and to be honest I'm still juggling that and still trying to work with that myself but I think what what I've currently been doing is um firstly I have a lot of science up my sleeve so if I do meet a science person I just whip out a load of uh, facts and things that I don't or that we don't already know the answers to such as like uh, we do, we have not found the correlation of consciousness in the brain. So we can't prove that consciousness is in the brain. We literally haven't found the, the neural correlates. That, you know, just little thing of things like that. Uh, yeah, and I, but I think asking them questions, because uh, I, I started off, you know, wanting to really, you know, tell people and convince people and like, this is a thing, uh, you know, it's real and it happens. Um, but actually, it doesn't really work. 
So it's about people having their own direct experience. So it's going, well, you know, find this out for yourself. You know, don't believe me. You don't believe anything I say, but go and go and find out and test this. Try some practices and, and ask them questions that make them consider things they may have not thought about. You know, I spoke about perception earlier. It's all about shifting people's perception. And if we can get a person to have a direct experience within that shift, that will kind of alter the way they think about things. And so that's what, what I've been doing. But I suppose on a very everyday level, um, it, I'm not quite sure. It's quite difficult. I mean, I've got like my family who um, my mom kind of, ex- my mom said something so cool the other day. Um, I was sat with her and um, we were talking about ghosts and things. And she says, well, it's just because ghosts are operating in another dimension, aren't they? And I was like, mom where did that come from like yes mom <laughs> probably and you know obviously we don't know whether that's true or not but just the fact that you know the, the stuff that I've been sharing with her she was able to you know have a think about things in a bit of a different way and and I think it's just about showing up you being you sharing your truth I know you talk a lot about this Kate but I cannot hit home how much it's about just being who we are is sharing our truth being ultimately present with who we are authentically in that moment because that within itself um is doing the work without having to try and say or do anything more it is just showing up and being that and i think i think that's all we can be and then you know helping point people in directions that they might be curious uh, with exploring I think God that is such such an important message to hear to stand in your shoes because so often and you must come across this a lot I know when I draw reference to an Instagram post that you put up the other day that you were at a conference and somebody before you were going on stage which I still find absolutely incredulous that somebody did this made comment on what you were wearing which is just I just I still can't believe that that happened but it's 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 about standing in, you know, you're not, you don't have to, we're not here to tell other people how to think or believe or behave. It's about sharing a message that will affect and connect and just make contact with somebody when they need it. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. And since like, cause in the beginning, talking about stigma earlier, I didn't share anything of my experiences for a long time. And then just one day I said to myself, Do you know what, I'm, I'm just going to share my truth. I'm just going to be honest. And this was when I was sat in a hairdresser's, I was getting my hair done and I got asked the inevitable question, what do you do? And I thought, do you know what, I'm just going to say a meditation retreat. I teach meditation. And then I thought, no, I'm just going to say it. So I said, well, I, I teach on out-of-body experiences. And she said, oh, okay, what's that then? So I explained what it was. And she said, oh, my granddad had that. He had this accident when he was a young boy. He ran out of his physical body to follow his brother who was going to get help. He turned around. He saw the crash. He saw his body. He swears to this day that it happened. And I said, well, yeah, that's, you know, these are reported cases and they happen. And so I was able to talk to her about her granddad's experience. And she was really open to that. And since then, I've been always, you know, sharing my truth and being honest with people. And I just find that actually, they're more open than we think. And sometimes they can be maybe a little bit triggered just because it's questioning what they currently know about reality or themselves. But, um, but it's been on, it's been definitely positive and open doors opened a lot of doors. Um, way more than when I was hiding everything and how I truly felt about things. And that's it, isn't it? Because if you give people the opportunity to 
actually, if we give them the opportunity to be open to anything, it's really fascinating the conversations you can have with people. And actually, it's more about our judgment of what we think people will handle versus actually what giving them the invitation to ask more questions, to find out more, to share their experiences. And if it is met with a blank, then that's okay. I always say that, you know, whenever we're sharing any of this work, whether it's podcasts, whether I'm doing a speaking gig, same as you, like it, you, it doesn't have to be for everybody. It can mm. just be for somebody who needs to hear it at the time. Mm. And that can be sharing in front of an audience or it could be a one-to-one conversation with somebody at a bus stop. It doesn't matter, does it? No, totally. And also you can be planting seeds. So it might be someone's not ready to hear what you've got to hear them, but you've planted a seed and then that might grow 20 years down the line, 10 years down the line. Um, and they might go, oh, yeah, I remember that talk or that book or that article that that person wrote. And it can just flick something in their mind. And then they go on to look into something or have an experience that then really helps them. So it's like we're planting flowers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as I, I, I like to say, it's you know, following the breadcrumbs when you have that moment of awareness, like those moments of awareness when you're peaked, um, where I do some talks for uh, women going into STEM careers. And I always say to them at the beginning, I'm going to go really fast in terms of the information I'm going to give you. But the reason I'm doing that is because you don't have to, it's not your job to have to remember everything. Whatever needs to go into your unconscious will go there and it will sit there and it will come out and you may not even be aware of when or why or who you heard it from, but it will be there whenever you need it. And I do feel like all of this is dropping breadcrumbs for anybody who needs to pick up along the way, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I want to hear more and share more with the listeners about the documentary that you're making this sounds really fascinating. Can you can you tell us more, please? Yeah, I'm so excited about it. I've been working on it today. Um, so the documentary is reflective of my thesis findings. So for my master's degree, I am looking at uh, exploring the transformative effects of the out-of-body experience. So after someone has one, how does it affect their lives? How does it impact them? Does it change anything? And it's really about ordinary people having extraordinary experiences. So no one's um no one's kind of have got mental health issues no one's sick um they're just ordinary everyday people and that's because often our body experiences are associated with um being sick or having an illness or being mentally ill and it's like no people have these experiences completely um yeah around the world all the time so yeah so I've got uh 10 case studies uh, so people who have had them and it's affected their life in some way and then we've got some amazing specialists so we've got Eben Alexander who wrote Proof of Heaven the neurosurgeon who had an out-of-body experience well he had a near-death experience and we've got people like Tim Freak. we've got Dr. Steve Taylor who, spirit, who specializes in spiritual awakening Dr. Susan Blackmore who's a, a well-known out-of-body experience critic because it's important it's a balanced documentary and um, Sergio Magana who's a Toltec Mexican shaman Graham Nichols who comes at the OBs from a very science academic point of view and um, also Peter, Dr. Peter Fennick who's a neuropsychologist he was a consultant at the Maudsley um, which is a famous um, psychological rehab unit um, yeah we've got a great list of um, experts who are going to be talking about uh, consciousness the nature of reality and human potential uh, so it's very exciting and um, it, we should be having kind of a premiere in May next year. That is incredible. Oh my goodness. And and so 
coming at a project like this because for some people that may seem like oh my god I could never do anything like that you know and and people say the same thing to me when I created the practical magic activation deck how do you go about with I mean I'm sure this kind of came to you in terms of this is something that I have to create how do I pull it all together how have you found the process of creating such an incredible piece of incredible piece of work well I'm in the process of it now so it's not finished we're still in the filming stage I suppose it's so difficult because I've I've, I'm an only child and I've always done everything on my own which has been quite overwhelming at times but um I don't know (laughs) I don't know how I I kind of bumble along a bit and and try to try to do everything that needs to get done usually not on deadline not on time um but uh I, I, I literally don't have an answer you can tell I've not thought about this very much no because I you know I don't I think that's really important that people know that because I always say about my work is I'm just making it all up as I go along you know so it's not like you have to have all the answers in place I think sharing the fact that you can come at something do it in your own way without having to fit in into any norms or structures of how we think things should be is a really valuable tool to be able to share with people yeah and I think I've always been like that which is why it's difficult because I've never like for example I've never been employed I've always been self-employed I've never had um, a a nine-to-five job so it's difficult for me to to not you can't imagine it any other way this is just always the way that you've been not in my perception of awareness that I can't I've just always done this even with my dance company we or we we made a documentary there as well and just I suppose that I didn't have a lot of people when I was, I mean, not that I'm blaming this, but I don't have a lot of people when I was young telling me I couldn't do anything. So I've always had positive um, affirmations from parents, from friends and things like that. So I've never felt like um, I can't. I've always felt like it's hard and challenging, like God, like so hard at times, but never not possible. And I think that it, it comes down to what we were talking about earlier, perceptions and can, can do we feel like, something is possible and, and could we do it I always use the metaphor of the horse so if we imagine a horse going down a path with blinkers on all it sees is the path which is great but the horse's world just revolves around the path the possibilities that come to it are just on this one path if we take the blinkers off it could go run in the meadow to the left it could go and drink from the stream on the right um, it could look up to the sun so it's got a more of a a 360 degree a perception and reality it's reality has changed so more possibilities can come to it so I really feel like it's, it's the expanding our awareness where we feel a limit if we which is when we say I can't do this I'm not good enough uh, this isn't for me uh, we put ourselves in that making ourselves small place that's when we need to do the expanded states of consciousness practices whatever that might be yeah yeah I think that's great because actually like you say with perception and I talk a lot about perspective that using that as a metaphor that blinkered view of I can't I've got to do this one linear path which is where we often get stuck in terms of obligation and shoulds and um, how we think we should live our lives it's just one path isn't it it's just one perception and it's about getting curious about well what if it were different what if perception were different like you know when people say I haven't got any time I haven't got med- I haven't got the money I'm I can't do this thing and it's like well time is a construct money is an energy so what could a different perception around that be yeah and I think what's definitely and I think what's helped me as well is kind of um 
lifestyle lifestyle management and figuring out well what doesn't work for me and what is going to allow me to undertake the projects or the new ideas that I want to do if something if a structure isn't currently working how can I change that if it's possible and usually it's always possible we just think it isn't Um, even if it's very hard like we've got little amount of money we've got kids like I even think it's a controversial thing to say but it, it is still possible uh, and it might not be possible in the way in which we think things might unfold, um, but it can unfold. Yes, I 100% agree with you there. So you talk about managing lifestyle. What are the kind of containers that you need for yourself, if you don't mind sharing, to make sure that you can um, keep that space that you need to be able to create and give yourself expansiveness for your work to come through? Um, I definitely, well, I can't, I don't, I literally can't work a nine to five job. I just, my, um, the way I am, so my background's an artist and I am a creative. So I think a lot of other creatives will understand. Um, you have to allow yourself to work when the creativity comes. You can't factor in, well, I'm going to be creative between like at this particular time, you have to have that space in your life to, uh, let certain processes unfold so I didn't used to give myself that and I really struggled with a, a lot of things and it, over the past say four years I've really started to change th- how I work in order to enable my full self to come forward and that is about working um working well I work self-employed um part-time um having space in the week where I don't have any plans so that whatever I feel like needs to happen in that day can happen and I I've only just started doing that I think that's actually um something that everyone should have but it's very hard to put that time aside for ourselves um but I think it depends on knowing ourselves our personality our mindset some people like my husband he can get up in the morning seven o'clock is out the door at the gym comes back eight hours of work then goes and shoots a film and I'm like oh my gosh how can you even do that how do you have the energy or the focus and for a long time I tried to like make that happen for myself that sort of schedule and way of being and I just didn't fit I'm like an octagon fitting myself in a square hole (laughs) I can't you know it's it's that way of finding working things which is why I think these um you know these these habit books like get the best focus and the best habits yeah some of those will work but because we're unique individuals we work in different ways it won't work for everyone we totally do and I, I talked about this on one of my podcasts a little while ago which was about getting in the, into the natural rhythms and flows of ourselves because we are so unique we're as unique as our fingerprint and and what works for somebody isn't always going to work for everybody else so it's finding the thing that works for you and tuning into what is your own rhythm and flow you know for example today I'm sitting here I'm day 28 and I've been a little bit because I I'm very masculine energy beating myself up going why haven't you been sat at your desk and blah 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 I'm like and then the other feminine part of me is just like yeah, well, we'll do the work when we feel like doing it. And actually coming at it from that that perspective and doing it that way, I've got so much more done. Yeah, because it allows breath and space in the body and mind and then things can arise. Whereas if we cram 
cram our mental space uh, with things all the time, even our physical space, our house, you know, if it's crammed full of things, we might like to think of the house as the mind, then um, there's not space for maybe what needs to come up to come up. And I think that's why factoring in that time for ourselves is so important. So factoring in time, going with your flows and actually decluttering and making sure that your space it was working right. I'm just looking around at my space. I've just moved into a, a new office space and already I built up stuff around me so that, that I'm clearing the decks as soon as we get off this call because I 100% agree with you there. Um, this has been a really fascinating chat and, and thank you for bringing in those tools around how you manage yourself through your work as well. I always like to close off the Practical Magic podcast by asking you a question of what is that track that really works for for you in terms of really activating your magic and is reflective of you jade well i was thinking about this earlier and i've got a track for when we have an existential crisis so i really like the four non-blondes what's up because um when i listen to that i just really let go and dance and it's kind of laughing with the universe and we had to leave it there at Four Non Blondes, which was Jade's track to listen to for an existential crisis. What an amazing talk. What a fascinating subject. And expanding consciousness, shifting through consciousness is all my jam. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation that I had with Jade Shaw too. Thank you so much for listening to the Practical Magic podcast today. I am going to be back next week as always. And it's been really great sharing this time with you. I hope your new year is going wonderfully. I've got something really exciting to share with you is that I've found a new flexible way of working with you guys. If you're interested in really setting your 2019 intentions and setting some goals with soul, why not come and do it with me in an online classroom? I have had a website update, which means that I can now get online classrooms up and live and running. So that's what I'm going to be doing. January the 23rd, 7 to 9 p.m. UK time. We're going to spend some time together. I'm going to take you through some of my coaching practices I do with all of my clients to create best life design, setting goals with soul, like really fully intentionally getting into what you want to create for 2019 and beyond. And this doesn't have to be stuff that you do just at one point in the year. You can do this again and again and again. So the tools I'm going to share with you are things that you can use moving forward and bringing into your everyday life. So if you go to my website, katetaylor.co, you'll see a link in the header for online classrooms. Just go and have a look. There's an early bird price, 29 quid to come and get all of this good stuff. I can't wait to share this with you. It's going to be super, super motivating. And if you've enjoyed the show today, please do go over to iTunes to rate, review and subscribe. I will see you again next week, darling ones. Till then, have a great week.